What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 152 of the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com, which is strength training for cyclists. And on today's episode, I sit down with Tyler Pierce, aka the vegan cyclist, to discuss his unique training rides in preparation for the Unbound XL. Now, if you're not familiar with the Unbound XL, it is the longest option for your ride and race at Unbound. It's 350 miles of gravel. And you have the opportunity to stop at six different gas stations, but it's all self-supported. So Tyler's been doing these rides, prepping for it, because there's a super deep field of ex-World Tour pros, and he really wants to, to do his best, especially since he's the current U.S. Ultra Endurance National Champion. And so he has been doing these rides for nine hours, 150 miles, without stopping. And he posted on Instagram about this, and I was immediately intrigued because I thought about the logistics and the preparation that would go into a nine-hour ride without stopping, and I had so many questions. Like, how the heck do you do this from carrying your food and your water to actually planning a route that doesn't have too long of intersections or you know potential interruptions like that? So how the heck do you do this? And he shed some real light on the preparation for it, and it's really motivating to hear how focused he is on this event. And once we finish talking about that specifically, we'll go into his content creation because as someone who does make content, I'm always interested in how he balances the performance side versus the actual content itself. Because you know, most people are going to set out on the Unbound XL just hoping to bring all the right food and the layers and uh, they're going to have limited storage and they're going to be looking at how much weight they're bringing. But he has this whole extra layer of bringing multiple cameras. And those are going to be taking a lot of place of where people would put their food and would put all their arm warmers and those kind of things. So I wanted to ask him about that and the reality of really capturing all of these uh, films that he's been making. And once that conversation's over, we're going to dive into a race recap from the Stetna Pays Dirt, which was a gravel stage race that I did over the weekend. It was awesome. Spoiler, I got fourth overall, which I was very stoked about. And I want to give you some insight into the race, kind of how I wrote it, and then some takeaways from the event, especially going into Unbound because we are just over a week out. I cannot wait to get out to Kansas and race this 200. It's going to be an incredible experience. And I'll be sure to include some information about my taper in the upcoming week. But before we dive into this episode, I want to announce that we just launched the summer maintenance program on dialedhealth.com. It is a 12-week program, aka three months, that includes 24 individual workouts and 36 total videos. Each video for the movements is designed for basically me to coach you through each movement. I talk and show you the movement like I would if we were training in person. So they're very short, typically like a 60 to 90 seconds per video, but it teaches you everything you need to know about each individual exercise. Now, the, what's cool about this summer maintenance program is that you only need bands. That's, that's it. <laughs> or one band. Like in the video and while I recorded the program, I only used a 30-pound looped band. And if you have access to more weights, I mean, more power to you. It's just going to be even that much easier. But one single band is enough to get this three-month program done. And I designed it specifically for cyclists who have a busy summer of events and increased volume or intensity on the bike. So the equipment's light, it's compact, and it's going to allow you to maintain your strength from home or while traveling so you can stay consistent throughout the season. And each workout will train your entire body, but it has an emphasis on your core and mobility. Now, the movements progress in complexity each phase over the total of 12 weeks, and it's going to be an opportunity for you to maintain the strength that you have built in the off-season 
or even in the preseason. So please go and sign up, add that sucker to your calendar, and let me know what you think. Now, without further ado, let's dive into the episode with the vegan cyclist. All right, Tyler, Unbound XL is right around the corner, 350-mile self-supported gravel race. And I know that ultra endurance has really become your niche as of late. I mean, you are the national champion, and there's so much you've done even in the last year that I want to go over. But recently, I saw that you did a training ride that was about 150 miles, and you didn't stop. That was like the real goal of the training ride was that you would go and keep going, which I think is rare for people to even consider in their training. And that's something that really separates, I think, the racing side from a training ride, no matter how big the training ride is, is the is the urgency of not stopping. So I want to get your mindset behind prepping for that and how you did it along with the nutrition, uh, the frame bag that had your liquids in it. And really how you prepped for that day and how you executed it. So give me the rundown. How the heck did you do that? Yeah, well, so that was uh, training day two or or uh, I, I've got four of them planned. And look, for the most part, I go into events willy nilly. I never prep. I'm like literally throwing a bike together the night before an event. Um, I very rarely plan to do anything. But Unbound XL is a big deal to me, and I really want to do well. Um, I think I have a good shot at getting top five. But 350 miles at race pace, this isn't this isn't like your back bike packing trip where everyone's chilling and having a good time. This is full beans for the entire 350 miles. Like it's unbelievable, and so I have to. I have to work out all these little issues uh, that you that will come up during 350 miles. But the hardest thing is you can't train for 350 miles by doing 350 miles. Mm -hmm. Okay, that that makes no sense. You're going to build too much fatigue. You're not going to get anything out of it. You're just going to destroy yourself. So I've got this program that I built out uh, where essentially I do two days usually Tuesday, Wednesday, super high intensity, um, like hour max duration. So we're, we're doing, you know, either like a race ride here in town or a Zwift race uh, where I'm trying to just, you know, get that high end. Because a lot of times for ultra distance people, they get into this rut of where all they do is long, slow distance. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't translate to making you any faster. You You just, you might be, more comfortable, but you're not going any faster. I need I need to do 350 miles faster, right? So, uh, so I've been doing yeah two days super high intensity, and then I do two days of active recovery, not on the bike. So, uh, um, if I was doing 20 30 hour weeks going into this, the fatigue would be so high, and my body would be so run down that around 200 miles, you could just hit a wall. You could hit a wall mentally. So that's another really weird thing is like, uh, do you want to ride 350 miles? Because if you go in burnt out, Mm -hmm. bro, you're not, it's not going to be good. It doesn't matter how fit you are, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many other things to ultra that, that comes in now. Like, okay, a crit, you could go in burnt out as shit. But if your fitness is good, like you just, you'll, you'll, get through that hour. 
anyways, so then uh, two days active recovery, not on the bike. So like hiking, uh, walking, I built a jump with my son for him to ride motos with, like just this whole body thing. Uh, and then on Saturday, I try to do a training ride to replicate, you know, similar things that are going to happen in that race. So there's rest stops every 75 miles. Well, gas stations. There, there is, it's fully self-supported. So you have to stop at gas stations. Now, last year they were every 60 miles. So my training day number one was, can I go 120 miles uh, fully self-supported? Because that's what I was thinking if I could skip the first rest stop. Um, mm -hmm. Because the fast guys, you know, they'll get into a group. And if they skip that first gas station and you're not prepared for that, now you have to go another 60 miles. Like, and if you're out of, of calories, dude, you're, you're done so. So I yeah. wanted to see like, what does it look like to be able to try to go 120 miles? So then my first one, um, I went out with a hydro pack, two bottles and some, uh, some solid food. And it was really hot with like 97 degrees. And, and there was a lot of climbing. It was like 8,000, 9,000 feet of climbing. But I found that at hour six, like six hours, 30 minutes in, I was out of everything and I had to stop. And I was like, okay, I got to make some tweaks, you know, which is fine. But I mean, I, I ran myself completely empty. And uh, so then I was like, all right. So then I went out on a, another one the next Saturday and I threw on the frame bag. So then now I have more liquid which it was actually really interesting because I had the same amount of calories, but I had more mm. liquid. So before I, um, on training day one, I had, I think it was like 2,700 calories in fluid, but I, but less volume of fluid. And so then this uh, second one where I did 150 miles without stopping, um, or maybe it was actually 155. Uh, then yeah. that was, that was with that frame bag. And it was a little bit cooler. Um, so that, that's definitely a big part of that, right? Like it wasn't super hot, so you're not sweating as much. Um, but yeah, and, and the goal also was to hold 200 raw, watts raw average. So if yeah. you're going up and down and undulating, like I, I was not letting off the gas. It, it, like if I coasted, you know, that was very rare. And honestly, if like, we were kind of coming through town and we are coming to a stoplight. I would drag my brakes and keep pedaling <laughs> like 200 Watts, right? I'd keep the Watts up. So they really? weren't posting because I wanted to see at race pace, what does it feel like, you know, when I'm running through all these calories and burning and then what happens to your muscles, right? So many people, they ride 30 miles, get off, sit down, have a cake, mm -hmm. a muffin, whatever. I want to, I want to recover and fuel under power the whole time. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I went with two other guys who were like kind of ripping my legs off. Like they were, they were going hard. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, I, and I totally did it. Like I did 155 miles without stopping once. Uh, I averaged the 200 watt average. My, my normalized power was like 217. And so when I look at the winner from last year, he averaged 183 for 20 hours uh, with a normalized of 215. 
and he, and he weighs similar to me. So then, oh, okay. Like everything I'm doing for Unbound has a reason. Yeah. You know, um, and so then I was like, okay, that was a huge success. I was so stoked, like self high five. And then I went out for uh, another one uh, last Saturday. And so then I was like, okay, frame bag for sure. That's what I'm running. Um, I've got this like protein intake down uh, where I've been doing 20 grams of protein every hour and a half, uh, which is, is different because usually when you're doing like endurance stuff, you're just guzzling carbs. Yeah. But your body is, you're deteriorating your body over time, right? And so like uh, at, at hour 10, if I've had zero grams of protein, at hour 15, at hour 20, you know, like I honestly think I could be repairing the damage during the ride if I can fuel with enough protein, um, you know, but again, it's like, I'm trying to shoot for, again, a hundred grams of protein for nine to 10 hours, you know? Uh, so right. anyways, got my, my that solid foods down, got my liquids down. Um, but now time trial position. Because I, I had been going out on my road bike and I was in a very upright position. Like the power feels good. Everything feels good. So I was like, well, I'm going to be in an arrow position because in the 350, you can run arrow bars. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's see what that's like. So I went out on my time trial bike and the goal was to do 200 miles under 10 hours. Uh, and, and then it was also hot. So then I wore a skin suit that didn't vent very well because I'm trying to replicate mm. like the humidity, like what, what happens differently when you're riding under heat, what's happening differently when you're riding in a TT position. And man, I learned that in the TT position being flat, my stomach was not digesting nearly as efficiently. And if you actually think about how your stomach is like this, but then you tilt it sideways, mm -hmm. you know, like all the fluid I was bringing in, I just, I wasn't able to process uh calories well, as, as quickly gravity, as gravity helps digestion if you think about like, how your body works like it's not like that's an accident that like, it goes through the top to start and it comes out the bottom and you all everyone knows that if you eat and you lay down on your back or you all of a sudden maybe you put your feet up and you're too inclined on a couch or something like you can get some indigestion uh gravity helps and, you know, before we get into the position and some of the digestion stuff, because that is super interesting, all of the protein talk, I wanted to ask you about your carb to sodium ratio, because you have your high amount of carbohydrates, like 600 grams of carbs in that frame bag, which is it like three liters, the frame bag, three liters yeah, of water. Uh, yeah. So I put 300 grams of carbs in that, uh, in that frame bag. So that was like what 1400 calories or 1600 calories, whatever, whatever that it was. But yeah, it was because I, I tried oh, okay. to shoot for a hundred grams of carbs an hour. Um, yeah. Or at least that I, I have that ability. I mean, maybe I, I don't bring that in, but at, yeah. for what I found at full race pace, like to perform the best I can perform, I, I need a hundred grams uh, of carbs per hour. Well, what are you doing with sodium? Do you have like a solid ratio or do you actually add more sodium with the temperatures rising? Because this is something I feel like I'm trying to figure out as well, because even just sticking to a standard pre-mix sometimes can be too much sodium when you get the amount of carbs that you want. Um, like, in fact, we were both at the rock cobbler race 
And I did that at that race. And I started almost feeling puffy throughout the ride because it wasn't that hot. And so I remember thinking, gosh, I put too much sodium in my pack. So do you have tabs or uh, capsules or what's your strategy with, with altering the sodium levels? Yeah, man, I, I'm not very good at it. I haven't been tracking mm. how many, you know, how much sodium is in each bottle. I've been, uh, oh, really? the stuff I have been using has a lot of sodium in, you know, already in the, uh, in the mix. Um, but I've been trying to mess with having two different, uh, fuel sources. One that is just electrolytes, just water, like very little calories. And then one that is less sodium. Cause I, there's actually co companies mm -hmm. that make like a low sodium carb drink. So yeah. then I can sort of be like a chemist on the bike and feel like, okay, I, I, I need more electrolytes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just going to drink this. I need to, I need to cut this sugar a little bit. Right. Because that mix is it. And look, if you've never ridden more than four hours, this means nothing to you. But as soon as you're at six, eight, 10 hours, your, this, your stomach has this osmosis problem. And if you oversalt your stomach, then it actually dehydrates you, right? Like that's how osmosis works or whatever. Like the fluid goes <laughs> towards the more salty thing. And so then it, you will actually have a stomach full of fluid, but you're being dehydrated by it. And so you have to be really careful with how much you're bringing in. And then also like if you just max out your stomach with fluid, now there's... Mm -hmm. Your, your digestive system can't work the way it needs to work. So you have to like be really disciplined to bring that in at a slow pace um, and then also not introduce too many variables. So when I did yeah. this training ride just recently, there was too many variables to pinpoint what the problem was. My position was different. Uh, I, I brought in some MCT oil because uh, like there's this little pack and it's 200 calories. In this little, like, I was like, okay, cool. So I smashed that. And then I was using a different hydration company that was, uh, that had lower sodium. So then like, okay, well, what the fuck happened? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, is it my position? Is it the MCT oil? Is it the new hydration company? Like what, what happened to lock my stomach up so early on? And it was, it was around four hours where I was like, I feel, I feel really nauseous. And then you know, all my, my power just went totally away and it was really frustrating, but I, I, I pushed through, um, mm -hmm. but then I was like, kind of had borderline heat stroke, uh, at the end. And it really showed me though, how, uh, man, if you don't fuel right and you lock your stuff up, that's it. You're, you're yeah. done. You're just going to have to wait hours before everything sort of loosens up and gets going again. I think the point you make about someone who hasn't done a ride more than four hours, maybe it seems far-fetched to think that you need or that your body can crave a specific uh, macronutrient or it can crave sodium versus carbohydrates or just pure water and you would be able to tell the difference. I, I think that is very real and it's something I first noticed when I started tracking food in general down to the point where I could tell whether or not I needed more fiber uh, just to make myself feel better. So it's like, should I have more veggies at this meal or, or less veggies? Should I have more carbohydrates? Should I have more fat? And you can really get a sense of how you feel once you track it and you interpret that with 
the whole process you're going through. So I don't think it's far-fetched at all. I think that the position of your TT not having gravity helping you digest is realistic. I also will tell you personally, I've noticed too much fat during a ride. And again, I haven't done a nine hour ride where I, well, I'm trying to think the double Everest ride I did last year, there was a point where I felt like I was having even like too much, uh, too much, too many chips and like the oil from the chips. I was just burping it up constantly. Um, so it's like, I think too much fat make can make your stomach a little, little funny during these efforts. Well, but it's hard sure. you want to use it. Well, but so, so you're like, yeah. If you mix it, right? So uh, you're, the fat's going to take a while for your stomach to sort of break down. It's like a, that's going to be a slower. I mean, it just just literally take a glass of water and pour sugar and then oil in it. Like what? Like, dude, that's not going to look good, right? That's going mm. on in your stomach. It's all not. It's not. It's not mixing right. And so, um, you know, that's another thing for ultra distances is they get very fat adapted. And so that they're not reliant so much on sugars, um, mm-hmm. but then their power is really low. So, yeah. uh, Christoph, dangerous game right there. The fat right. adaption, so, keto, oh, trying to chase that. <laughs> well, so uh, Christoph Strassner, he's like a legend in the ultra distance. He's won race across America like twelve times. Um, he has the current twenty-four hour distance record of like 610 miles. So he averaged something really? like 25 miles an hour for 24 hours. His average power was 265 watts. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, that that guy, um, he does coconut oil, right? I mean, he just straight up like eats oil. And he's gotten to this point, of, like I Strava stalked him. The dude has... His, it's all zone three, but that's it. There's nothing above that. So it's really strange how he's developed his body to ride at zone three indefinitely. But like, if you just gave a small snap, a little kick, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's gone. He just doesn't have that high end. And so if you're doing five, six, seven day rides, okay. But how do you... How do you do this new weird world where it's it is ultra distance, but you're racing at crit pace? <laughs> like, mm. like that doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah. Uh, and then you have to be so patient with like you feel good, so you want to push hard. Um, but man, the the peaks and valleys that your body will go through chemically on a 350 mm. mile ride is wild. I mean, you will yeah. feel depression. You will feel elation, you, euphoria, uh, you know, dysphoria. Like you will have, I mean, you're, <laughs> I'm singing to myself at night when you're all alone, like your brain is just running wild. And then you have yeah. these weird chemical dumps. And so then if you don't constantly keep yourself level, okay. Cause this is okay. This is something really strange that if you've never ran yourself to complete depletion, you won't know what this feeling is. But if you run yourself totally empty and then you take in simple sugars, within five minutes, you are like jumping off the walls. Like you all of a sudden you're like, I'm invincible and you're trying to do a thousand watts and then you just burn yourself to pieces. And so, man, fluctuating that line and knowing, like you said, Mm. knowing 
with actual science and data. Okay, how much sodium did I bring in? How many carbs did I bring in? What's my calorie intake for right now? Because if you just don't think about it and you drink an entire bottle and it's got 400 calories and you did that in 20 minutes, mm-hmm. like that's, too, that's too many calories, right? Uh, for, for such a short period of time, like mm. you need to be able to pace that out. But you need to be watching your calorie burn, your power, your heart rate. Because then there's this other thing of, you could be going too hard. Like if you're burning 800 calories an hour, uh, but you're only bringing in 200 calories an hour, well, that's just a, you're running off a cliff. Like it should be no surprise to you that in three hours, you're dead on the side of the road, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> so you have to like monitor that, you know? Yeah. And I think it's surprising to some people how much you can really burn on your rides in general, because even on the training ride that we're talking about nine hours, you took in, I think it was a total of 600 grams of carbs. Uh, Like it was like 2,400 calories in carbs. And you said 1,500 calories, I believe just in in like solid food. And that still put you for the ride, which you burned 7,000 calories on at like a 3,000 calorie deficit. And so for someone who's like, oh my gosh, that's so much food. Like, do you really need all that? The answer is yes. And technically you should have some more, but can you really handle it is the case? Is it realistic to bring all that stuff with you? I think there's a, there's a point where you have to know that you're going to be running into a deficit and that's just part of the sport. And it's like mitigating that uh, energy balance as long as possible. Like you mentioned is so important. So you don't blow up, but I I think some people might be surprised in how much you can really handle. And, and I'm kind of curious, but also like, yeah, you know, there's a challenge that's all over the internet and it's eat, burn 10,000 calories. Can you burn 10,000? Can you eat 10,000? And your stomach, uh, you know, for ultra, you have to train your stomach how to digest this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's easy to think, oh, well, like, you know, your average meal at McDonald's is like 2000 calories or whatever. Right. Uh, (laughs) and then, uh, Obviously, a lot of people in America way overeat, but man, when you're hitting that 6,000 calorie mark, 8,000 calorie mark, there's just like volume wise, there's just, where, where is the food supposed to go, <laughs> right? I, and again, you only have so much uh, digestive enzymes and bacteria, you know, and so if like you jump a little bit in, man, you, that, it's good. It's totally dialed. But when your whole stomach's full, there's just mm-hmm. nothing to really create that digestive system for. So I've been trying to get myself closer and closer to be able to do, you know, 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 calories. Uh, I, I've actually took a little bit of um, training from uh, professional eaters. So I've been doing like watermelon and grapes like a lot. <laughs> so I'm like actually kind of stretching the stomach a little bit and I'll take in like I'll eat a whole bag of grapes at the end of the night, right? Because it's low calorie, but something to sort of allow my stomach to stretch a little bit and have more volume to be able to put in there or like watermelon. Um, because I mean, these guys that do like 70 hot dogs in one sitting, right? That's how they train. <laughs> they, they actually stretch the volume of their stomach. And and if I could have more volume in my stomach, I might actually be able to, to, to get closer to eating 10,000 calories. Maybe. I mean, but would more volume actually lend itself to better digestion? 
Or yeah, would you I, digest I stuff at the same rate? You know what I mean? It's just like you can have more food in your stomach. For sure. I, I mean, maybe not, uh, but maybe potentially I could at least store more in my stomach like a camel. Uh, <laughs> because, okay, with gravel racing, sometimes what's really difficult is you can't eat when you want to. Yeah. So like a, a road ride, you can drink and eat at any point. But it, especially at Unbound, man, there's certain sections where it's so technical and it's so difficult mm -hmm. and your hands are on the bars and you're not even thinking about eating that you could go an hour. I mean, you you know, you did Rock Cobbler, like, dude, that uh, yeah. trail of death type thing, like <laughs> there was probably 40 minutes where there was no possible way you could eat, right? You couldn't yeah. bring anything. And there's, well, how do you do it? You can't take your hands off. So I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's all things of like, trying something different, trying something and, and maybe finding the right way to, to, to handle it. But, um, yeah, I, well, I would suggest anybody listening to this to find the video of the hot dog eating contest winner. And they do this, like a comparison of what it's like to stuff this amount of hot dogs into a balloon and to watch the size of it grow is one of the wildest things. Uh, you know, it's just one of the uh, amazing uh, mind blowing things the human body can do and who knew it would come, you know, show itself that way. Uh, don't know if he should be proud of it or not, but you can do well, that. So, so I actually, uh, food theory did a, a video about it, about scientifically what is the maximum amount of hot dogs you could do. Um, and so they showed that the taller you are and the skinnier you're, skinnier you are, the more you could take it. So if you are six, eight, you have a taller stomach, and then if you're really lean, really, then your stomach can stretch more. So right now the record is like sixty-eight or maybe seventy hot dogs. But they said, <laughs> based on like you know, I mean, you would have to have kind of a genetic freak, like a basketball player, like close to seven feet. But you could get you could get to ninety hot dogs if no. you have the right the right height and and weight, which is crazy. <laughs> that's unreal. Well. Uh, hopefully neither of us will ever find out what that's like. Um, you know, you did, you talked about the replicating the calories, uh, 10,000 calories on a day where you actually burn 10,000 calories. And that reminds me of the trainer ride that you did earlier this year, where you actually burned 10,000 calories on the trainer indoors. And I don't know if you got off the bike or not. Can you give me a I, run? I that was the off, goal. I, I got yeah. off once. Um, so I've actually found that if I'm going nonstop, and this means, and, and like this is why I like Zwift, is that you don't ever stop pedaling. Right. But if it's you, like constant tension. Always, right? You're yeah. always under pressure. The, the amount of muscle contractions that you're doing, I find that between hour five and six, something happens with me and I fall off a cliff. Motivation, physically, power, everything just goes... And uh, I only need about a minute to three minutes of just not doing something um, or walking or any other movement other than pedaling to mm -hmm. sort of reset that. And then, I, and then I'm good. But I've been learning on these training rides that if I try to push through that, I will just dig myself into this fatigue hole like that there's mm. – you know, I don't know the science, but maybe like lactic acid or there's something building up in my muscles uh, that, and the fatigue is so intense 
that if I don't try to just stop for a second, so like on these training rides that I've been doing, I actually, yeah. will, I've been now taking my legs off the bike, letting them just dangle straight down. I, I've been stretching them straight out. Like mm -hmm. I look totally stupid, uh, <laughs> but I've been trying to move my body on the bike without actually stopping the bike to sort of reset the muscles. And so mm. on this, it was 14.2 hours. Uh, that was the, you know, I, I kind of did the math, like the most I've ever burned in an hour is like 1100 calories. Right. But there's just no way you can do that for 10 hours. Like it's just not possible. Um, mm -hmm. and then, so what I found around zone, like what is zone two to three. And so it was, uh, it was around 600 to 800 calories per hour that I could, uh, burn right? So then you just do the math. Okay, well, what's 700 calories? Okay, that's, that's around 14 hours. Um, yeah. And so then also, a lot of people that do these challenges, they use faulty, faulty data or like faulty tracking, you know, your Apple watch. Mm, dude, it kind of like hypes you up. Like, it's like, hey, you you did 10 steps and you burned 400 calories. Like, bro, you did <laughs> yeah. not. Uh, and so I knew you know, I had my whoop, I had a power meter and I had a, a chest strap. So I had three different metrics sort of following, you know, how many calories I was burning it. And then I just used the lowest number, right? So like my whoop had had me way over uh, and my, my chest strap had me like, okay, but my power data is what I, I kind of more went off. So like mm. I burned just over 10,000 calories with the lowest reading metric if that makes sense That's so cool. like my yeah. whoop was like twelve thousand calories you know uh my heart rate was like 11 um and so i because i didn't want to i didn't want to cheat it uh but yeah i stopped from hour yeah. like at hour five i i took a pee actually in the toilet instead of my bottles that was cool uh and then i just laid i laid down for like five minutes and that's where like the demons come into your head and there's this this people are saying this now and they say like this is what hard feels like and i really like that because if you re if you don't reframe your mind then you feel at hour five and i dude i'm storying this like i put it out there so I can't yeah. just not do it. I can't. Like, oh, yeah. That's the other thing about social media is that oh, yeah. when I'm going to do something, I don't just go, well, I'm going to try. Uh, let's just see how it goes. I put it out there. I go, this is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to let future me just deal with the consequences of like saying I'm going to do that. And so I'm like, I'm not going to do this. There's no way. There's no possible way I can continue the way I feel now at hour five. There's mm -hmm. no possible way I can go this. Like I was like one third of the way done. And so I'm just laying there. My body hurts. Everything hurts. And it's just like, okay, this is what hard feels like. And yeah. then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm on track then. And it's a way to reframe the current feeling to be like, this isn't bad. This is good. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it, it's the still it's still objectively the same terrible feeling inside. But if you give it context and you and you're like, okay, well, uh I can push through this. 
Then yeah. what's really weird, because people are like, there's no way I could do that. Bro, there is no way I, I at that moment, I thought I could continue. But right. things will get better. Your body will change. And then all of a sudden, around hour six, I was good. So like I took a small break. And then hour seven, I was better than I was at hour two. At yeah. hour 14, I was doing like 350 watts. I'm like, let's just get it done. You know, like I was riding stronger at the end than I was at the beginning. It was so wild. But you have to give yourself this, this opportunity to go through those waves. You know, mm -hmm. ride that wave, man. Like, mm. crazy. That it, it's such good advice. You know, when I did the double Everest last year, I had this top tube sticker made that said, "Be hard when it gets hard," and it's this awesome saying I got from this guy Chad Wright, and it's just really talking about what real toughness is and the fact that you can't walk around with this scowl on your face and you can't be this macho man like 100% of the time because it's exhausting. Like anyone who is like that all the time, I don't think they have the real, uh, they don't have the real ability to push through in the times they need it. It's like you have to save that toughness for when things get really hard. And that's your moment to let it come through. And that was my thing. Like even, gosh, I remember getting to the point where it was like 50K and it was about at the 24-hour mark, which was my goal to finish the entire ride. And I remember thinking to myself, for one, this is when I need to be hard is right now. But also, if I would not have said on social media for two months leading up to this, that on this day, I'm double Everesting at this time, and I didn't repeat it and push it and push it and push it, I would have probably stopped. Like that accountability, I can tell you, really kept me going and to, to say, would I actually stop? I'm not sure. I, I know I have a lot of like self-motivation that way. But at the same time, I remember thinking, this is the, a monster PR. It's a very clean number. Like, you know how numbers are in cycling. It's like, oh, 50K, 24 hours. Like, that looks really good. And I just remember thinking, I was like, man, if I did not have that accountability right now of this community and me maybe being an idiot uh, and setting up my future self for this position, I don't, I don't know if I would have done it. So I think that if anyone out there really wants to push for a ride that they're not sure is really possible, you have to go and get some accountability by telling people that you are going to do it because that will push you through. And I think like you're saying, you'll be surprised at what you can, how you can turn around mentally, even when you thought you could not push through any further. And, and I've yeah. even found that on these rides, like halfway through sometimes is the hardest part. Cause you feel the fatigue of what you've done and you're like, I got to do that again. Like how, yeah, I, I don't know. Dude, it is wild. The smallest things that your brain will find, uh, to keep you going when, when things yeah. get really hard, like just the smallest. And so, but you have to have those in place. And I, and I honestly feel like it's, uh, it's like a tailwind. If you can create some tailwind behind you, Mm -hmm. Even if it's very small. So the social media is a tailwind, right? Having people counting on you. Like if you, like when I did the 508, you know, I had a whole team dude supporting me. It's like, they're my tailwind. Like I can't let them down. And, and so then you just do all and, these and little the 508 things. was the ultra national championships, right? Yeah. Yeah. 508 okay. miles. And, uh, yeah. Um, and so it's just, you, you got to put these little things, but a lot of people don't because they are afraid to fail. 
So they're like, well, I don't want to be in that situation where I let these people down or I, I have to tell social media that I failed. Like they're so afraid of that failure, you know, mm. but that, that fear is what's going to push you. It is the, it is fuel in your gas tank. And so, you know, like if I'm not, if I'm not telling people what I'm doing at all, um, I mean, man, there's no real reason for me to push myself to that absolute edge. Now, can you do that all the time? No, you can't. Like, okay, the whole thing with David yeah. Goggins, bro, recovery <laughs> days are okay. You know, like you can't run a thousand miles every day all the time. That's just bad for you. You know, there's like one where he's all getting hyped up because he broke his both of his legs running. It's like, dude, that's, <laughs> you ran too much. Like, you know, like, chill. You know, there's some longevity here. There, there is points of like, build yourself to that ultimate, you know, level. Uh, but then also be able to recover from that, be able to come down from that, have some balance in your life. Uh, and, and so with like unbound right now, man, there's a lot of pressure on me to do well because I'm doing this story. I'm building, like, I'll have like five episodes of this training block. You know, a lot of people are watching it. There's there people are like, dude, you're going to win. It's like, man, right. Nicholas Roach is he's won stages in the Tour de France. He's riding it. Ted mm. King has domestiques with him. Right. I mean, there are 20 full time professional athletes riding the 350. OK, so am I going to win? Like, that's really, really hard to say. Uh, but if I just trained in secret, if I didn't say anything, you know, then when I get there and it's hard. I can go, well, no one was expecting anything. So I'm going to now go down the list of excuses. And the more tired you get, the more fatigued you get, that excuse list becomes insane. Yeah. So let's make, let's make not an excuse list. Let's make a why I should keep going list. And, and that list needs to be bigger than my excuse list. So in my head, it's all going to do this math. Hey, man, your tire pressure wasn't right. Top 20 is fine. Well, that's a stupid excuse, but when you're really fatigued and you have no energy to fight those demons, like that's a great excuse. And then you'll just shut mm -hmm. down and be like, well, top 20 is fine. But now I got to combat that with, yeah, but dude, you, you put a lot of work into this. Like people are expecting you, like you, what's your Strava post going to be, <laughs> you know? And that dude, Strava has helped me so much because what am I going to title my Strava post? That goes yeah. through my head so much. And I want to post something good. I don't want to post a failure. So like uh, building up to this event, I know I'm going to have excuses. So let's make this other list even longer. And it might come down to one thing where yeah. I'm top five. I'm on the rivet. There's only 20 miles left to go, you know, and I want to stop so bad but if you just go a little further, maybe someone gets a flat. And then I'm like, dude, top five, top four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Well, how often do you find that con the, making the content that you do interferes with your performance and your training? Because I know that you're extremely intentional about the content that you make and even thinking about people coming in with domestiques or with uh, like Tour de France stage wins in their, uh, in their history books. 
you have these guys that are fully focused on the racing, the training, and, and some of them check out on social media completely just to focus on this kind of stuff. And you are someone who's pulling out the camera and document it while you do it. And as someone who tries to get content regularly myself, I know how disruptive that can be and how much it can lower the quality of a strength workout, a ride, whatever the heck you're doing, it can kind of kill the moment. So how do you, what do you tell yourself when that comes up? Because you know, okay, priority is I have to document this and I have to create this story. However, I want to do the best I can. And I know right now pulling out my camera might mean that I don't ride the section as hard, but it's worth it. Like that's got to go through your head, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, uh, on the rock cobbler ride we did, I, I changed the battery three times and I had, Oh to, yeah. And you were so mouth. good at that. <laughs> it, it, I got to say too, I meant to, uh, tell you we passed each other riding. Uh, it was like, I don't know, maybe a third of the way through the course or something right before the death section on the cliff. And, uh, the speed at which you pulled your camera out and started recording and then got a clip of us talking and then put it away and then kept writing it blew my mind because i was like that was so natural and you did it so fast and then i saw the youtube video which is great for everyone listening you should definitely go and check that out uh but when i saw the clip i was like oh my gosh that clip was perfect i can't believe you just whipped that out the way that you did and then kept it moving so um i just had to i don't know applaud you yeah, that. Well, th that, that was insane you. but and, and yeah. it is yeah it's very it's very difficult, um, yeah, but that is that is what's given me success. And um, so I'm not a professional athlete that is expected to win. So like that's – okay, Peter Stetna, he didn't have to make any content, but he right. has to do well. Okay, so mm -hmm. that's a way different pressure and, mm -hmm. and set of hurdles um, that he's got to dial in. You know, for me, I could get dead last and still get more hype and have more success and get paid by sponsors because of the content I'm going to create. Yeah. So to me, I've just accepted this is my job and I'm mm -hmm. not going to look at it as like, damn it, dude, I got to, I got to change the battery or man, it's like the camera's heavy, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's right. going to weigh me down. That That is not at all ever a factor. I never use it as an excuse. It's just, it's, that's my job. I'm here to tell mm -hmm. this story and I've gotten decent at being able to, um, to ride at my best performance with a camera in my mouth and changing batteries and knowing, okay, like I knew I had to change my battery right around the time that I think I connected right before I connected with you, right before the mud drop and I had my chain, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to change my battery for the next hour and a half. And mm -hmm. so even though right now it's only at 40%, I, I've learned that, well, when the shit gets rough and my battery's mm -hmm. dead, because dude, what if I didn't have that cow death, right? Like right. the video is nowhere near the same. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so here, I'm going to show you something real quick. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so for Unbound, for Unbound, changing the battery on the GoPro is really, really difficult. You have this little door that falls off, okay? So, like, mm -hmm. you have to be so careful because if the door falls off, which I've done this before, and then the battery is exposed, 
And then I had it in my mouth and water got onto the memory card and it fried the whole memory card. Okay. So less. Oh, wow. So yeah. with, with the GoPro, I don't want to have to change the battery during unbound. So I got this huge digi pro external <laughs> battery. This thing will give me five hours of nonstop footage. Okay. Nice. But what happens if the something happens and the GoPro is not working there's a mouth. I got another one. <laughs> so I, I will have two GoPros on me that both can record up to five hours. I also got two 512 gigabyte. So I have over a terabyte of storage and 10 hours of battery. Now, so heavy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so heavy. And, and also, where the heck do you put that? You know what I mean? People are worried yeah, yeah. about so the, taking the new- an extra arm warmers and you have to take all that other stuff. Yes. So, uh, last year at unbound my whole, my whole, um, uh, bag top two bag was camera equipment, batteries and GoPros, right? So someone has a bag of food. I have a bag of electronics. (laughs) And so, yeah, but the, the new, um, rush hydro has this really nice, like chest, like sheet, so then it, I, I, I've tested it and dude, these GoPros are going to go right there. So then I can nice. have it in my mouth and I can film pretty much without thinking about it. Like I could just leave it on for two or three hours um, at a time, but like 10 hours is, is more than enough, you know, to be yeah. able to, to, to get that. But yeah, the, the footage and the stuff, I mean, it's really difficult uh last year i dropped my gopro i was on the back of two people's i was riding this train and i dropped the gopro i had to go back and get it uh at bwr dropped my gopro uh, on a descent lost that whole group like definitely detriment to to my overall like uh <laughs> result but the thing that i don't get is when okay so these big athletes they put all this time into training I see this a lot and they're like putting all this hype on it, bro. We're going to this race. We're doing this race, blah, blah, all this stuff at the start line. And then that's it. Mm -hmm. Then you don't see them post again for like a week. And you're like, bro, you hyped me up. What happened? And they're like, well, I don't have any footage of it. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, all right. You know, you have a podium photo maybe, but what if you don't get a podium photo? Like what did, what was that all for? You know mm. what I mean. Um, so it's a yeah. weird time to be a. It's a weird time to be a racer. I know that it's it's definitely something that a lot of people have opinions about whether or not racers should be obligated to use social media. It's just uh, it's interesting because I know there's those pure blooded racers who just want to get out and race and would rather prove themselves through race results more than anything. I think there's kind of like the hybrid where it's probably the sweet spot of really the most successful pros right now where they're contending with the world's best and they shine here and there, but they do a really good job at capturing the content. Uh, and then there's people who are like, your job is content and you get a taste here and there of what it's like to be pro. Uh, I mean, I think you're a perfect example of that because it's like, you wouldn't consider yourself a pro like going out and competing with all these guys that are kind of expected to win based off performance. But you can also hang with these guys and you can have your moment where you shine through. Maybe the luck is on your side. You never really know. Um, So it's just interesting to see how you can be a professional in the bike industry now. 
Uh, but it's really, it seems like the same across every industry. And, you know, there's guys with fishing channels. My wife, wife watches the farming and you, uh, and the, and the gardening and like every little niche has like a pro that's capturing the content. Well, and it's a big separator. It's just, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird that, uh, there's a couple ways to be pro now, you know? Yeah. But I mean, with the level of where this is going, because mm-hmm. okay, gravel five years ago. So it's like, Shitty time for me to have found gravel <laughs> uh, because you, now you've got so yeah. many high-level athletes that it's actually pushing the high-level athletes out of gravel and into ultra. So, you mm. know, you've got uh, Lachlan Morton and uh, Alex Howes and Ted King doing the Tour Divide. Well, I had always wanted to do that. But now you have World Tour dudes. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Like, bro. Yeah. So yeah. You, you couldn't be successful at World. And I, I, this sounds like it's talking shit, but I'm just saying like when when it ran dry at the high end, you came down to riding in grass fields with amateurs, blew mm-hmm. them out, made your career, got hella money. And then mm-hmm. now when guys are like, oh, well, I'm going to go do that. Now you're getting blown out. Now you got to find another thing to, to be successful at. And it's like, okay, so I just got to chase that obscure niche where there are no <laughs> yeah. world tours. So I'm going to start being an ultra distance unicyclist. You know what I mean? Because who, I, I need a place where like, I Like where have, are you going to be the best? Yeah, yeah. dude. So, yeah. Uh, but look, I, I also battle with, I don't want to self-hype myself. Like my self-confidence is is pretty low. And the social media game for a lot of people is how do I make me doing shit look awesome? That's mm-hmm. kind of how that goes. I more look at it in a different way of like, I want to, I want to do the best I possibly can in the hardest possible setting. So like you look at crit racing, I don't want to win a cat five race. I want to get dead last in the tour de France. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I want to right. compete at the highest, highest level so that I can say that this is really where I'm at. Cause if you go, mm-hmm. well, I did, I did this thing, but only one person showed up and, and you know, they weren't even taking it serious, but I won, I won. And it's like, ah, yeah. you know, like that's not, that's not my jam. And so like with ultra distance, um, when I did it last year, man, the competition wasn't very, it, it, it hasn't been developed yet. These guys that are doing, you know, 500 plus miles, um, I, I just, I just think they have a lot to progress on. Um, they, they don't take it super, super seriously. Like there was a lot of people mm-hmm. that just in flappy jerseys, you know, not arrow at all. Like it seemed very yeah. strange. And so then now I don't even know how I feel about that. Like I almost mm. didn't lean into it. I, I almost didn't want to post about it because ultimately mm. there was only two guys that I was competing against. Um, and, and then all, you know, right away, like I found it was just one guy that I was competing with. The other guy was, you know, just way off the pace. And mm. so it's weird how a couple years ago, I couldn't even imagine riding 508 miles. Like that's not even remotely something I think I would want to do, let alone could do. And then I'm in this situation where I'm two hours in the lead and I feel douchey. I feel like, oh, did I, 
I don't even feel good about this. <laughs> like, what the shit? You know, like that's like, so- Like, do you feel like you were the person that you almost described coming over from this discipline and like bringing all of the pro support and like everything you know into that event that people maybe were like, dang, this was kind of my only shot to be a national champ. And now I got this guy coming in all pro. Is that what you're kind of yeah, saying? Yeah, you felt absolutely. That a absolutely. Bit? I felt yeah. like when I looked around, I didn't feel, you know, I felt like I rolled up on an F in an F1 car and everyone's in a Honda Civic. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, how, how prestigious is this to win then? Um, yeah. And so I'm totally fine with people coming over to Ultra uh, and, and then I can sort of stand on the shoulders of giants <laughs> and mm. say, yeah, I got ninth, but let me tell you about the top eight. You know, yeah. I mean, like this is no joke. And so yeah. that's going to make me feel way better. I, one of my best results, the results that I'm most proud of uh, is at Gravel Locos. Uh, I, got, I got ninth. But the top seven were all pros. And so yeah. I was like, okay, I mean, I kind of finished like first in the amateur side. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was really cool um, versus if I had maybe dropped down and did the 100 or did a shorter distance where they weren't there. Yeah, maybe you win, but do you feel good about that? And, and some people do. I don't. I want, I want this year in Oregon for the uh, ultra distance nationals. I want there to be 20 guys all on mm -hmm. full disc TT, like arrow. Like I want it to look legit. And if I mm -hmm. win, if I repeat, I will feel so good about that. And if I yeah. don't, at least I know, okay, I, yeah, I went against some really hard competition. Yeah. And I think regardless what, whatever the competition is, I think that you being in the pursuit of a goal, putting your, eyes on it, claiming it and going out and doing it and following through with it is re the real inspiration that people are looking for, regardless of who was there or what the conditions were, this or that. I think the fact that you really are making moves and having that follow through is what inspires people because I think a lot of people are missing that. You know, there are so many cool things you can go out and do. And at the end of the day, you just have to put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, this is the one I'm chasing after. And I'm going to follow through with this. And that's the real push that people need because there's a level of focus required for you to accomplish something great, no matter what it is, no matter how obscure it is. And so I think for people to get that ability to focus and block out the noise to really accomplish something, whether it's an ultra marathon US national champ, whether it's losing a percentage of body fat, or whether it's uh, doing something with your family every single Sunday, <laughs> you know, whatever goal it is that is a huge priority for you, you got to follow through. And I know that through a lot of the videos that you've made and a lot of these journeys you've gone on, you have absolutely done that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that again, it, people need to find whatever's relative to them. That's way beyond their reach. So just because like someone does something crazy, I, and this is this is a comment that I get a lot, and and I don't like it. People go, well, it's no impossible route, but it's it's big for me, and it's like don't don't do that. Don't compare. Like, right. It's it is an impossible route to you, whatever yeah. that is relative to to you. So if you ride five miles a week, and you're three hundred pounds, and you go out and you do twenty miles in that week, 
bro, you've, you're, you killed it. You went yeah. way above where you normally are. So your mm-hmm. relative experience is going to be exactly the same, right? I just am now in this death spiral of having to do insane distances, insane times. Like all the numbers yeah. have to get higher and higher and higher to go a percent bigger than I did before, right? Yeah. But that's what's so amazing. If you're just like a normal, average, everyday person, maybe 100 miles on a flat road in yeah. Kansas – that could give you the same exact feeling as me riding across the world. So like you've got a great opportunity to achieve something, a feeling, an experience that is unbelievable with relatively very little work. It's just Mm going to be your, your mindset. Well, I have one more question for you before we go. And it's kind of in regards to one upping yourself. At at what point does this feel like it's, unsustainable, which I want to give you some uh, background here. That is a hard word for me to embrace. I'm definitely not someone to back off because it doesn't feel sustainable. Like, because people will, they've asked me similar stuff. So it's like, at what point do you think, okay, maybe the focus isn't on 1% further or bigger and you might change that. Um, Are you going to just keep rolling until you can't get some clarity on what that next 1% is? Like, have you thought about that? Has that crossed your mind? Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, right now um, I'm at my peak for endurance, just genetically, 35 to 45. That's your sweet spot yeah. for like endurance. So to me, I want to see what it feels like to make my body the best it can possibly be. Now, uh, uh, it's getting very difficult to continue to, um, to improve, especially with these distances, right. you know, the, the fatigue and the wear on your body is just, is just not good. So I've been really mm-hmm. trying to, um, to, to polarize that with, you know, not riding my bike, uh, mm-hmm. you know, doing other things that keep me active, doing a lot of court, like you posted something about a core workout. I just did that yesterday, you know, like trying to do about. other things with my body <laughs> That, yeah. um, that can give me that sense of progression because it's very hard to say, well, you know, what's my, tw- am I going to better my 24 hour power? Well, right. that's, re- that's a really hard goal to have, but I can make my core stronger. You know, I can, I can have better mobility, better flexibility. So I kind of have this other thing on the side where I, I try to improve things I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. Um, which gives you that feeling of progression very easy. So yeah. you can kind of mask that. Now, where am I going to go in the future? To be honest, I would like to be more of a general adventure guy, uh, like an, an Indiana Jones type dude. Um, I feel like I've developed a mindset and a physical strength that is that is world-class, uh, mm-hmm. where I could, let me skydive into the Amazon jungle you know, and figure my way out. Let me, let me go, let me go find some, you know, hidden pyramid. And like, I have to hike for six days. Like that seems really interesting. I want to do that. I want to do other physical endeavors that aren't necessarily riding bikes. I absolutely love that. Well, I'm excited to see what that turns into in the future. And, uh, I don't doubt it for a second, man. Uh, you really inspired me a ton, uh, just with my own business, the way you approach your, uh, your entrepreneur 
entrepreneurial side to all the content that you make, everything that you're doing with ride bikes, the shirt I'm wearing right here. And so, yeah, man, I just want to really acknowledge you for that. I think you're also someone that does this with a family uh, that you obviously care about. You make it a big point to spend time with them, put them in all of your content uh, and make they're, sure they're people here with me right now. Important. Actually, I, we, we got, well, oh, I'm in the warehouse and uh, I, I had a bunch of boxes. We bought them some new, uh, new shirts and stuff. So then yeah. I was like this, this morning I was like, Hey, mental health day, like kids don't go to school. And then I brought them here to the warehouse. <laughs> and, uh, so we've actually been skateboarding and, and riding around out, you know, I try to keep it fun, but I'm also been putting the kids to work here in, in the warehouse. And, um, I was going to, Hey, yeah. Mental health, no school. You're coming to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, thanks again. And thanks for dropping all the knowledge and details about your ultra training. Uh, I think it's gonna be super helpful for people. I know for me, Training with that specificity is going to be something I look forward in the next couple of weeks leading to Unbound. And I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing you there, man. Hopefully, I'll have a chance to uh, send you, you off the You're doing the 200? Start. Yep. Yeah. Well, so I look, the 200 is the spiciest. It's the most prestigious. Um, but the the there's two courses. There's the North course and the South course. The North mm -hmm. course is way harder. And mm -hmm. only one person in history has ever gone sub 10 hours on the North course. That was Colin Strickland. Uh, last year, top 25 went sub 10 hours. Okay. Yeah. So the South course is, is, is not as brutal. Um, it, it is not as much technical stuff, but you only have two rest stops. So you got to really plan that out well. And if there's any advice I can give is that dude, pace yourself for that first hundred miles, you know, mm -hmm. because if you can ride at 17 miles an hour for the last 50 miles, you're going to, dude, you're going to catch so many people that are just noodly, right? Like they yeah. barely have anything <laughs> in them. And so, you know, but it's hard because you're like in the group and it's so much chaos and you, you could ride for four hours, full tilt, not even take a sip of your bottle because you are so involved in like what's yeah. happening, you know? So yeah. just, uh, Pace good yourself advice. and 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 taking a good experience and um you know I mean it's it's an amazing place it's an amazing time and uh, yeah I'm I'm stoked to see it. I start Friday at three so hopefully you can hang out there at the uh, at the start of the ultra and then um, ideally I finish before you but if yeah. I don't like if you if <laughs> I want <laughs> I'm trying to do the math on that <laughs> yeah if you uh, if I'm if I'm rolling in after you then uh, things have not gone well for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm planning on being at the start to, uh, send you guys off and, uh, shoot you a little wave. So, uh, look forward to it, man. Good luck out there. If I don't see you and thanks again for the time today. Awesome. Take it easy, bro. I hope you guys love that conversation with Tyler. I definitely learned a lot. And now we're switching over into weekly thoughts, which is of course going to be about the Stetna Pazder gravel stage race that I did over the weekend. Now, I want to tell you guys about the route and also bike setup, and then we'll go into how the actual event went itself uh, because it was very unique. So let's talk about this route a little bit. First off, this was two loops. There was like a large loop and a little mini loop in the middle of it that was broken up into a stage race, which I've never done before in gravel. Now, a lot of you know that I came from enduro mountain bike racing, so I'm used to stages and overall times and transfers. That all makes sense to me, but I wasn't sure how they would actually run it. And I want to tell you how they did it in case you haven't been to a gravel race like this. So essentially, you have your big loop, 
and you have your official start time. You still roll out in a mass start, but we had 10 miles until the first time segment. And it was all road on, well, almost all road leading up to it. So we're just in a big pack of a few hundred people. I mean, there might've been 500 people, 400 people, something like that. And we're just cruising very chill pace, very fun. The weather was beautiful, awesome views. We were out in Carson City, Nevada. So you can see the mountains on the backside of Tahoe. It's kind of high desert uh, sort of uh, landscape. And so we end up coming up to the first actual time segment. And this is where people actually started getting in position a little bit because there was a downhill and it was fire road, but kind of technical where people wanted to make sure they weren't getting balled up by being in the back if they were going to be one of the front runners. So that was an interesting thing right off the bat was you have a neutral rollout, but because people know they need to somewhat be in position, there is a little bit of shuffling going on as you get closer to this time segment. Now, the question I had, especially coming from the enduro background was, do they stop us and like hit a stopwatch and have 30 second intervals or something like that? Like I actually didn't know, uh, but I learned right before the event that it's literally just a couple flags and a, and a line time sensor that you go through. So you can just keep it rolling. So obviously you want to come into it with some speed, but you don't have to actually stop your ride. And I think what's cool about this is that you can actually, you know, take a leak beforehand if you need to, you can be a little bit more strategic about what you bring between each time segment, you know, really with how much food you have, depending on where the aid stations are. And I definitely saw people playing this tactic out for sure, because I really like running packs. Uh, but my first thought was, oh, I definitely don't need to run a pack at this type of event because, you know, I'm just going to be trying to carry the lightest load possible on the stages and then kind of refuel in between. And so I took that strategy in, rolled through somewhat toward the front of the first time segment. And it was, it was really rough. And so in rough by, I mean, like literally rough, like not like, oh, that was so hard and rough. No, no, no. It was like literally, I think I would say 10 to 20% of the riders out there were on mountain bikes. And without a doubt, the first stage up until the top of the climb, which was, it was the majority of the stage was for sure faster on a mountain bike. And the people who rode it the fastest were on gravel bikes with 50 C tires, uh, full, full knobby. And I was on 42s on my crux. Uh, I had 42 tracers by specialized, which is a full knobby and they actually roll really fast. A little fun fact for you guys. You, a lot of you won't believe this, but they roll faster than pathfinders unless you have pathfinders uh, in the S-Works model, uh, which of course, you know, don't have quite, have quite as much rubber on them. So they can be a little, you know, uh, a little bit sketchier, good for the more like unroad races like VWR or something. But this, uh, this tire was still, it still felt outgunned and it's a 42 full knobby tire. And, and most of the time you have that on the gravel bike, it's like, oh, that's legit. Like you're about to go off road, but seriously, it was, uh, it, it felt like not enough. And I was actually chasing down my buddy, Jonathan Lee, who a lot of you know from trainer road, because he passed me on the down, like right at the bottom of the downhill. And then we're going across these creeks is this rough, a washboard climb with rocks and moto ruts and sand. And it was like this crazy cat and mouse game where he was a hundred yards ahead of me and I'd start gaining on him, but then it would get rough to the point where I'd be bouncing up and down on my seat and I couldn't really throw down power. 
And so it was really interesting because I wouldn't actually gain on him until it smoothened out. And as we got toward the top, it got smoother and smoother and smoother. And essentially, I was able to crest the top of this thing and just enjoy one of the sickest fire roads I've ever ridden on my gravel bike. Uh, view of the mountains on the backside of Tahoe. It was like perfect temperatures. It was smooth enough to be, feel like the gravel bike was perfect. Uh, and I can definitely tell I was making up some time there. So it was fun. Really cool first stage. I think it was like 20 miles or something like that. And we crossed the line. And the coolest thing about this was at the end of the stage, like I just waited for the group that we had. Like we ended up basically linking up with a couple guys, rolling to the first aid station uh, or the first available aid station, restocking on food. And then by the time we rolled out from there, we had a road transfer that was like another 15 miles or so until another aid station and then the final two segments. And we ended up having like the coolest crew. And you're just chatting, you know, after kind of blowing up on this first segment, and then it's totally chill again. So it was a really interesting dynamic because it was kind of, you know, all gas and then totally relaxed. And so I enjoyed that part of it, but it took me a second to get used to. Like, I think I was trying to compare it to normal gravel formats, which is just start and finish the whole time. And I think ultimately you just have to know it's super fun. It's just also very different. Um, and just let it be at that. And I think the reason that they did this was one, to promote people riding together and, and having friends together. I know that uh, Pete Stetna really wanted people to enjoy the race that way. But also, when we're going through the route, we had to cross one highway. And it was totally safe, but we it, it wasn't like blocked off. And it made me think, I was like, oh, if you lived in an area or you wanted to put on an event in an area where you can't get a full 70-mile loop closed off, you could do segments. And so I was like, that's kind of cool. It does open up more options for different areas to host an event like this. And I like that about it. So basically, uh, we go to the second stop. They're serving up hot dogs. We're all trying to get each other to eat hot dogs because we have a 10 mile single track section right after it. <laughs> and so it was just kind of funny joke. No one, no one ate the hot dogs. Um, I was rolling with uh, Levi Leipheimer, who ended up winning the event. Jonathan Lee, who I mentioned, Harrison Beal, who ended up third uh, and is a real up-and-coming gravel racer. And also this guy, Stephen Flynn, who I think got second. Super fast guy. I haven't met him before. Uh, and then we had my buddy Scott, who's a Dialed fan member. We had a couple other friends we had just met. It was, it was super cool. And so we're cruising to the uh, second stage, which ended up being all tech single track. And Levi was leading it out. We had a group of four guys and or five guys. And we just sat in this train for the 10 mile loop or whatever it was, all single track, like on edge on these 42s trying to keep up with these guys, like 100%. It was so technical that I was more focused on just not making a mistake and riding well than feeling like I was redlined on power. Like, I don't think we, I don't think personally I could have gone much faster in regards to putting the power down because it was so technical. But I'll tell you that we all stayed upright. None of us made too big of mistakes where it, you know, strung out too much. And we had a blast. Like, I think it was probably the highlight of the day was just ripping single track on these little bikes and doing it full gas for like just under an hour. Uh, it was amazing. Or maybe it was, maybe it was 30 minutes or so. I don't know. I can't honestly remember the details of the stage itself. I just remember thinking like, this is the coolest experience <laughs> uh, and, and so unexpected. I didn't know it was going to be that technical. And so then we do this little mini loop 
And right at the end of it, the third and final segment starts, which is another single track segment. And it's pretty sandy, but it was literally just like a hill climb. <laughs> and it was like an hour long. And so I think, you know, maybe the middle segment was more like 30 minutes because the total race time was like, I think two hours and 20 minutes for me, um, or two hours and 26 minutes. And maybe Levi was 222. Uh, I can't remember what the overall gaps and splits were, but I know it was around the two and a half hour mark. And so basically the final uh, time trial up this mountain <laughs> is what it felt like. I rolled out with uh, Harrison, uh, Jonathan Lee, uh, this guy, Stephen Flynn, and also Levi Leipheimer. And Jonathan started cramping in the beginning um, and somehow recovered and still, like, I think I still only gaffed him by a minute or two. It was, it, he had a really impressive ride, especially being on his, uh, his epic Evo. I mean, the thing is a work of art. It's like 20 two pounds or something like that what yeah, he'll have to tell me what it is but it's beautiful it's a great bike honestly not too bad for the race but still you know you think you'd just be flying up the hill on these gravel bikes but uh but no he he threw it down so anyways i was following these guys and i'll tell you i really wanted to stick with them but about five minutes in to what i knew was going to be an hour climb I, I had to let him go. It was just a skosh too hard. And, and that's what was so tough. I was like, dude, if this was half the length, I know I could hold this pace, but I don't think I could hold this for like an hour. And I think I was right because I ended up just backing off a little bit, letting him ride away. And it was good because I ended up starting to kind of catch back up to people as we went up the climb. And I think I just had a very even steady pace to where I felt like I could still put down power at the top. And to where I actually felt like I emptied the tank a little bit, because I will say on the very first stage, I think I had some extra left in there. And I don't know if it's because it was so rough, it was hard to put down power. Um, but what I kind of think it was, was such a chill start into high intensity that I had a harder time making that transition mentally, to be honest, uh, especially because I got to a point where I was on my own for a while. And it was just... I think it was more mental than anything. And so it took a little bit of time for me to kind of ride into the pace. And I do notice that on a lot of these events where I, maybe I'm, I'm good at pacing now and I just ride the second half better, or maybe I am too conservative in the beginning. I'm, I'm not sure, but I have noticed it takes me a little bit of time to ride into it. Uh, but all in all, this was a super fun race, cool format, something new I've never done before. And um, I, I think it was a reminder of how lucky I feel to have the mountain bike skills that I've carried from my past life in cycling <laughs> is what it almost feels like, you know, growing up racing downhill, dirt jumping, spending time on pump tracks, just endless shuttle runs, endless cornering drills. All of it has really been so ingrained in my body that when I get on the gravel bike, after all the time on the road bike, I just feel at home. I feel comfortable in the dirt and I'm not saying I'm out there crushing people on the tech side of things, but I have noticed even though I can't ride, uh, you know, from a, from like a FTP standpoint, just like holding power with the top dudes, I can get out and hang with them on these more technical, uh, descents. And I even noticed that riding with, uh, Blevins and Lance Hayden out at BWR in Scottsdale, where we're going down this fire road and it was fast, maybe even a little faster than I went solo in the race, but I'm still able to hang and it. And it's cool because I think really the entire full circle of my career at this point has come together because, you know, it's like all this time riding the technical stuff has helped with my gravel racing, which uh, was the start of me connecting, you know, gym and strength work into the cycling community 
to begin with. So it's just, it's crazy how full circle all this kind of feels. And this race was one of those weekends where, you know, I, I noticed that come together. And it was also the first weekend I've had at a gravel race where I really was like, I like noticed the community that I've been building. And it felt really good because I've, I kind of walked away from a community in Enduro where I really like I'd show up to, you know, a race on the West coast or even nationally for that, for that matter. And I, I would know it's so many people there. Like I wouldn't be riding a practice run solo or hanging out after the race solo or not knowing people in the tents or the vendors or whatever. And I, I really did miss that. And it felt like at this race, I was able to really notice how ingrained I've gotten into the community and it just felt good. It, it made me stoked. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving the people. And uh, I just feel like this style of racing for me is, is hitting the nail right on the head. It's perfect. You know, because the last thing I'll say on this is that I am competitive with myself and you guys know, like I'm, I'm not going to go out and just chill or give up or ride easy. Like I, I just like to ride hard. And so when I show up to an event, I'm excited to go for a hard bike ride. And so I, I've noticed that that is more of my motivation is just, is being there, taking it in and getting my best ride opposed to being like, I got to finish this place or I got to do that. And uh, I'm bringing that up even coming into Unbound because there's going to be so many legit pros there. It's like, I don't even know where to begin to try and rate myself, you know, whether that's top like 50, is it top a hundred? It like, does it even really matter? Like there's a point where you're like, okay, <laughs> am I going to be disappointed if I get, you know, let's just say 60th versus like 65th or yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess, you know, it's funny because there are those markers. It's like top 10 is significant, 20, 30, like even 50, like, but does it really matter? I don't know. I'm, I'm just stoked that I can show up to these events and truly enjoy it and, you know, happen to actually do pretty well at some of them, um, which is really cool. And, and I think I did notice the training I've been doing paying off at this event, uh, even though it was shorter, not exactly what I'm training for. I did feel more fit, uh, especially since this was at altitude, you know, I live at 150 feet sea level and this race was all around 6,000 feet. And I think it went up to closer to seven, uh, on the final stage. So it was pretty cool. I, I didn't notice it too much. And I think it's just the fitness and the training coming in. And uh, to give you an update on my taper, I have found out more specifically what I'm doing. I'll tell you in a nutshell, it's kind of like any taper of less volume, but basically the same. Well, it's funny because it wouldn't, I don't know, would it be technically the same intensity? It's less volume, but similar intensity. So I'm actually going to be do, doing some shorter efforts over the next week. Uh, some 30 second burst, uh, kind of all out just to really kind of like tune up the body a little bit, uh, apparently, you know, sharpen the knife a little bit, uh, but also not take on too much volume and fatigue that way. Uh, so that is the plan. I'm actually getting ready to go out for a road ride now where I'm going to hold mostly a uh, high tempo and then just kind of empty the tank on a couple, uh, shorter climbs. And that's how I'm going to do it because, um, you know, I've found that doing really structured intervals outside has been annoying for me. <laughs> and I want to talk about this more because the whole process of training for Unbound and really going, for, like really using the fast cat training programs, it has shown me what I like to do and what I also don't like to do. And I want to dive into that more for you, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Um, you know, I'm just soaked to get to Unbound and, 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 
you know, th- just empty the tank, throw it down. And I also have goals already for after Unbound, which I really want to share with you guys. Um, and, and then I guess I'll just say one more thing before we roll. Huge thank you to everybody that followed up on the last podcast. I feel like in the last couple of weeks, there has been so much clarity since initially entertaining the idea of putting my focus on app development versus just the coaching itself. It's like, do I want to spend my time developing the platform or do I want to focus on being the coach and providing the content? And your guys' feedback has really helped a lot. And I I even went through all of these different scenarios and, and directions I can go as far as just making a slight pivot. And I realized I was doing all this planning and all this preparation, but I had not even prayed about it. And so it was, it was maybe before or after the podcast that I recorded, but I remember I was doing my morning Bible study and then I just walked outside. Beautiful morning. I love these summer mornings. It's the best. Oh my gosh. Literally, thank God for summer. But I go outside, I'm like looking around. I'm like, you know what? Lord, I really, really need your direction right now. Like I need you to guide me to where I'm going to truly be most effective and, and, and really shine with my, with my skills. And I was hit with an answer so quickly. I felt like instantly before I even finished the sentence, he was just like, I am like, I'm doing it. All these, all these people you've talked to the last couple of weeks, all the experience you've gotten in the last few years of trying so many different ways to build your business toward the certain direction, I have been guiding you and I still am. And it was crazy how fast that hit me. I, I told my wife, I was like, that's the clearest sign or answer I've gotten from God in as long as I can remember, just like, boom, right on the spot. And so I really feel like I'm going in a direction that is going to be the best for, for dialed health and for the dialed fan. And, you know, launching the summer maintenance program, that is, that is one of those examples of, uh, where I need to be expending my energy. We're already writing two more programs. I actually just started another training certification just so I can really like fine tune my, my craft as a trainer, because yes, I've learned all this stuff. Yes. I kind of, I mean, I know all of, I've, I've tested and passed all these like certs and, and done everything I've needed to with all the experience, but I'm like, dude, I need to keep investing in my reeducation as a trainer. And like, how can I make this process of people wanting to integrate strength training and mobility into their cycling and become the healthiest humans possible without compromising with their ride performance? Like, how can I really do that? What does the whole onboarding process look like? And I feel like I'm getting so much closer to that answer. So anyways, thanks again to everybody that responded on that. Thank you for listening to uh, really all of these weekly thoughts. It's, it's so cool to be able to come on here and tell you guys about what the heck is going on and and not have to stress about, I don't know, I don't know, big corporate worries that people got to stress about. Like, <laughs> I'm happy to not be there yet. And I think that's part of the reason I'm in this position. <laughs> and so, uh, or I feel like that's part of the reason, even though that's something I felt like I've wanted uh, by this point, that I'm not there. So anyways, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you guys love this episode. And I'll tell you, I just recorded next week's episode with a trainer who has some insane insight. We're going to talk about blood lactate testing. Uh, It is so, so cool. So check out the next week's podcast. Also, will the podcast be on YouTube? I don't even know. This is one of those things where I start it and it, it's just like, oh man, doing it takes the, the emphasis off of other things that are already successful. 
you know, like Instagram or like just the coaching content in general. So still trying to figure that out. Anyways, I talked way more than I expected to. I hope you guys have an incredible week and I'm really looking forward to Unbound. But until then, start moving forward.